welcome to the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director. Today, I'm with Corey Muirhead. He's Executive Vice President of Logan Bus Company out of New York, and he's also an NSTA board member. Been a past guest on the bus stop. So, Corey, welcome back. Thank you for having me again, Kurt. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we probably do this podcast quarterly, and it's been great engagement, but I'm always mindful of folks who are tuning in for the first time. And how can you be tuning in for the first time when, right, the bus stop has been on for two years? But in case we have a couple of those listeners out there, um, why don't you go through and and give a, a brief reintroduction of yourself and some background? Sure. Yeah. And I do like our quarterly calls. I, you know, thank you for always giving me a platform and thank you for always checking in on me. So to, you know, brief background, I'm the executive vice president at Logan Bus Company. We're the largest privately owned school bus company in New York. We do business in New York City and Long Island, currently operating about 2,500 routes. And I've been here since 2010. Man, what a, what a, we were just talking about this at the uh, association when uh, the, my, the New York School Bus Contractors Association annual award dinner. What an 11 years it's been. And yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, time flies. And speaking of time flying by, you alluded to it, but you just ended a stint as president of the New York School Bus Contractors Association. How'd that go? What are your reflections? No, you just had a big meeting. So my reflection is that one of the biggest things, I love this industry more than anything I could have ever imagined when I got into this. It was a challenging years, but man, I, I learned so much. And all of the people who are members of the New York School Bus Contractors Association were so nice to me. Everybody answered my phone calls when I needed guidance or help. They were so appreciative, but also, you know, a lot of the people in this industry are NSTA board members too. And I, I got a chance to thank them for, for, for getting me into all of this and people like the Bob Papes, Kevin Clifford, John Carrados, Tim Flood, John Core, all of them, you know, they mean so much to me and they mean so much to this industry that as I reflect back, you know, it takes a village and what we've been able to do in this industry for the, for the long time that both of these associations have been around. And then what we were able to do in the last three years where I had a direct impact as president, uh, it, was one of, it was an honor and a privilege, and I'll never forget it. Yeah, and uh, you know, from our standpoint, you did such a, a great job up there during a period of time, and John Benish and I talk about this particular you know, aspect of it, during a period of time where We had, you know, these are unprecedented times. We had never seen challenges like this before. And, you know, having to do it without a quote unquote roadmap, you know, to to help us out. But as you mentioned, you leaned on a lot of folks. And, you know, I I know you did a a great job up there. And one of the areas that I'm going to put particular focus on and ask you about is your relations with the media. Now, I've been on a fair amount of media calls relative to the school bus driver shortage this fall. I know that you've done some great messaging on behalf of the, you know, the association as well as the industry in general with respect to, you know, answering the call uh, both in, you know, electronic, you know, media outlets, but then also, you know, on, on television. So if you can, 
can you give us a synopsis of your engagement with the media and the things you were, you know, trying to do during this period of time? Sure. So, hey, I, I do want to say one thing, talking about not having a roadmap, you know, talking with you and John Benish and, and Becky Weber, we did have a roadmap all together. So I want to thank you guys for that, because without you, it would have made my job much more difficult. And with the backing of NSTA, getting the Schumer's office, having prime policy involved, and with our, with our state lobbyists, I mean, when I tell you that we were on the phone with you guys or emails every single day or every week, you know, we worked in conjunction and that's what associations are supposed to do together. So you're right. We didn't have a roadmap, but the people on this, on this podcast and the people in our association put together one. And I think that the industry was served better for it. So uh, I just want to say thank you for that. But as far as media, yeah, I, I had a, a trial by fire. <laughs> this year with the media, but it's been great. I truly appreciate that they gave us a voice finally. And I wrote a white paper at the beginning of COVID. And I, I think it resonated with a lot of people and it never rang true. You know, I said, and the white paper was entitled, pay attention to the school bus industry before it's too late. And guess what they did? They paid attention to the school bus industry before it was too late. No, no, I'm sorry. Right. It was too late. So we had a national driver shortage and everybody was throwing their hands up saying, how did this happen? How did this happen? And people like yourself and I were able to say, well, look at what we provided you for the last 18 months. We knew this was happening and we told you how to stop it, but we couldn't. But here are the ways that we're going to get over it. So uh, it was great. I really appreciate all the media outlets. I got some good pictures that my mom and wife love. And I got... <laughs> I got interviewed by Rosanna Scotto, who's like a uh, who's like my mom's idol. So that was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, icon. It, that's an icon in the metropolitan area. Exactly, exactly. So that was pretty funny. But really, I, I can't thank them enough because obviously, when we get on these, and I you were quoted in the Journal and the Times, we're talking national media coverage, and this industry is finally getting the recognition it deserves, and people are hearing our message and they're understanding that. This isn't a private contractor issue. This is this was caused by many other extenuating circumstances and factors that it's not these private businesses causing this or doing this to their employees themselves. I think that that message needed to get out and needed to be heard clear so that we would get the support we did from legislation, from from the media, from and from parents and from other people like that. No, ab absolutely, and and it is interesting when you're dealing with your your friends and family. They kind of see that you're quoted in the paper. I always try to scratch beneath the surface and like, did you read the entire article? Did my message come across correctly, you know, to folks, you know, outside of the, the normal folks that we engage with? In other words, we wanted to get that message out to, to the masses, you know, about the, you know, varying reasons, you know, for the driver shortage. So, like I said, you, you guys did a great job. And I'm sure, like in the case of NSTA, some of that media engagement was a jumping off point for you, you as a state association and Logan Bus Company to engage with, you know, legislators and policymakers, you know, at the state and local levels. Did that happen? Absolutely. So the best thing to come of this was our conference calls with the governor's office, the new governor, Kathy Hochul. You know, she heard us loud and clear and they reached out to us on multiple occasions and the first conference call we had is saying, hey, you know, guys, what's the low hanging fruit here? What can we help you out with? And, you know, we threw a lot of stuff at them and some things were done and some things were, weren't done. But they took swift action on some of the things, you know, suspending the 14 day 
grace period between getting your CDL permit and having a road test, they suspended that. They set up a, a email address so that you can get expedited road tests in hard to get road test areas. They did that. They sent out the driver shortage memo sent through DMV and they had people sign up and then they released a list of over, I want to say 3,800 names so that you could call and get drivers back. They did that for us. We're still in constant communication with them. We're following up with them. You know, there was a situation on Long Island that they called and reached out to us and we were able to solve for them and settle for them as well. So, you know, through the media and just being there and, and having them understand the message did resonate and they understood it. So they called us and they took swift action on some of the things and it's a continuing conversation. And sometimes this is the just spoken power of word is, when your message does resonate, people will act. And there's no better example than the driver shortage. Right, right. Yeah. And part of that, too, was it, it, you know, usually in politics, there's an adage of you're explaining you're losing. But I think in this case, because it was such a confluence of events that ultimately caused the driver shortage that we needed as an industry to take time to do a little explaining as to, you know, what occurred. Do you agree with that? Completely agree. I think that our industry, just because it's all, I would, wouldn't say it's taken for but people think of school buses arriving to get their children second nature. It's just supposed to happen. So we're always going to be a little behind the eight ball in terms of explaining our message. We're going to constantly be an education and informational stage of people understanding what we need to have done in our industry for a greater progress. Yeah, for sure. And and like you said, this is continuing to evolve, it being the driver shortage. One area that has popped up, I'm sure, regionally and, and nationally as well, are the implementation of vaccine and mask mandates. So I'm sure they're in your area. How are you navigating that situation? So I'm happy to report, at least from my company, we're over 75% vaccinated, which is very important. The numbers are good. But what we have to do for the non-vaccinated people is they submit to weekly PCR testing. So we have a company come in. They come every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at our facilities, and they test. And, you know, other than that, people, people some people are additionally getting vaccinated as they see more reports come out. Uh, we do a very good job of, you know, urging people that you know, you're transporting kids, be a part of your community, do the right thing, try to vaccinate or at least submit to weekly testing more than once. So uh, it's it's definitely challenging for those who are non-vaxxed. But like I said, the numbers that support the vaccine, the people who are already vaccinated are pretty significant. So we're happy with it. Yeah. And one thing, just so the listeners know, we're going to have a webinar on the impact of vaccine and mask mandates. And we being NSTA, it's on November 16th at 12 noon Eastern time. Registration is out there. It's going to just basically be a lot of information sharing because similar to the driver shortage, there's no one answer to, to this issue of vaccine and mask mandate. So we're just going to take Rich Kelly and Dorothy Capers, who are two attorneys who are involved with this, and really highlight the number of issues that are involved and, and talk about you know common sense rationale and, and how we're dealing with it as an industry. So once again, November 16th, and that's at 12 noon Eastern time. So, so sorry, Corey, for the, for the little plug there, but wanted to make sure people knew about, you know, the webinar. You know, no, kind hey, of shifting. Yeah. 
kind of shifting gears a little bit because the other thing is that while the driver shortage is you know going on and, and front and center and similar to the contract negotiations that occurred you know in in 2020 you know life goes on within the industry itself and you know Logan bus is still operating you still have to have an eye you know on the future and I know that you know you've you've garnered some great media attention about not only your electric you know, electric school bus fleet, but also repowered buses. Why don't you, you know, talk a little bit about that? Because I think you guys done, have done great work, you know, up there in, in terms of uh, working with the infrastructure as well as, as the media to get the uh, information out there for folks to see. Yeah, sure. So uh, obviously, thank you so much for the kind words. But the uh, yeah, the EV project is great. You know, the infrastructure, so many people come and visit from all over the, the, the country, actually, they visit our, our project, you know, this is the first, I guess, big repower project in the country. So people are flying in to take a look at my charging stations, and to take a look at the physical bus. So, uh, you know, a big shout out to Unique Electric Solutions who built the Repower. Uh, They've been unbelievable partners and they really held my hand through all this. So, you know, we have the one bus on the road now. It's running. We we, we take it to every single, what do you call these, the the shows, the fleet shows, and everyone loves to sit on it and touch it and stuff. So it's been great to get it out there. Uh, but like anybody else, we're facing the national supply, uh, the, the supply chain shortage and the chip shortage. So my other buses are a little bit behind in production. Um, I'm hoping to have them on by the new year. So uh, really, I really, really want to make that big impact that I initially said to you, I guess, almost six months ago. Is I want to I see all five of those on the road with the green bumpers that I still need to get approved from DOT. But I want everybody... <laughs> I want everyone looking on the street, whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, whether you're just a a taxpayer in New York City to say, hey, wow, green bumpers, yellow school buses turning electric. That's unbelievable. This, you know, it it advanced our industry and it's something that's good. And I'm so excited because I truly feel that repowers are going to be the ones to get to full scalability here. New York City Council passed a law asking the DOE to have 100% electric by 2035. I don't know how you get there without repower. Right. So it, it right. was an important pro- it was an important project to me as kind of give a proof of concept. But my team members over at UES have done nothing but exceeded my expectations. So very excited about the bus that's on the road running, doing well, and very excited about the next one to come. Great, great. Now you know EV is just you know one you know, piece of the puzzle here, I guess, as as we close out, because one of the things I, I really enjoy about our engagement is that you're so forward thinking. And, you, you know, and you also live and operate in an area that, you know, gains a lot of notoriety. So I'm interested to see, you know, what you think are the, you know, upcoming trends and things you're going to focus on, you know, in the next six months, but then next year to two years out. Sure. I think a one-stop shop fleet telematic system is going to be extremely important. You know, whether that's GPS that ties into route optimization, that ties into cameras, that ties into, you know, maintenance and, and hard Excel, stop, you know, t- t- ties into engine diagnostics. I think that that's going where the industry is going to be going. Stop arm cameras is something very hot in New York right now since the law passed. Obviously, making the streets safer. You know, the past mayor had Vision Zero, so I see that coming. 
hot, hot, hot political football there because of the tickets and the fines associated. But I think right. that, you know, once they figure that out, uh, there'll be more stop arm cameras bids being issued by municipalities. So, yeah, that's that's where I see that. But, you know, also the, the other trend coming into the industry is charging as a service or fleet management for electric vehicles. You know, you buy gas and all you have to do is stick it in. And, you know, some people have fleets like have fueling software and stuff like that. But if right. we're going to go easy, you're going to have to learn how to charge your vehicle. And you're not just going to this, this isn't an iPhone. You're not just going to plug it in and let it run to 100 because there's peak hours that you get charged double per kilowatt hour right. than, if you charge, than if you charge it during off-peak hours. So that's where I see people having a competitive advantage on lowering their fuel or quote-unquote energy costs. You know, I was reading the journal the other day and fuel oil hit a seven-year high. So right. not only do you have this humongous push from the federal government to – get to EV, get to big, large-scale EV, but simultaneously, you have a seven-year high in oil, and you have OPEC saying that they're only going to gradually increase supply. It's almost like you're asking to to uh, accelerate EV production and, and having purchase, having people purchase EV. So if you're going to purchase all this, the infrastructure needs to be there, but also the ability and understanding on how to charge efficiently needs to be there. So I see that as a coming of the industry in the future. And, you know, whether the future is now, six months, 18 months from now, those are the things that I see are, are you know, right there for the taking. Yeah, and, and since you went there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss you one quick question that always comes to mind when, when, I, when I hear about, you know, the charging infrastructure. And, and to me, to, to take full advantage of EV, you have to couple it with solar. Do you do you agree with that? Yeah, I think of course that's the energy production side of it. So I certainly think you need to combine it with solar. Yeah. So all of this will be on the horizon. I do have uh, one last question for you, Corey. Being that we both follow a, a team from the Bronx that uh, unfortunately bowed out pretty early this year. Who do you think is going to catch for the Bronx Bombers next year? Anybody not named Gary Sanchez, I hope. What a, what a, what a disappointing year. Even more disappointing seeing, seeing uh, the Red Sox and the Astros, two mortal enemies, play in the pennant. And it's been challenging. And I think they have more, more issues than just the, short, uh, the, the catcher. They need a shortstop. They need a center fielder. That, their last two center fielders, both Ellsbury and Hicks. One at, yeah, yeah, when it stays healthy. <laughs> 60, ga- 60 games in like 11 years so uh yeah a lot of people giving us giving us flack for the yankees they're uh they they need yeah. to get out of the basement so yeah they're 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 world series team we got to get them back to uh you know i want to yep. see my yellow school buses maybe even the electric ones going down the canyon of heroes so we need them to exactly. win the world series exactly from your lips to god's ears Corey, if folks want to find out more about Logan Bus Company, where can they go? Sure. So you can visit www.loganbus.com. That's our website. We also have a LinkedIn page, Logan Bus Company, Inc. And then we just separated our Long Island company and built their website out as well, www.guardianbus.com. And then as always, I'm on LinkedIn, constantly posting Corey Muirhead on LinkedIn. Great. 
Once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Corey Muirhead, Executive Vice President, Logan Bus Company out of New York City. Hey, Corey, thanks so much for joining us at the bus stop. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kurt.